Mindfulness Mode, 518. The things that really helped me the most were yoga and mindfulness meditation, as well as pranayama breathing exercises. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome. I just got back from a walk and it's very windy out there today, but beautiful and warm and sunny. The temperature today hit 19 degrees, so that's a big deal around here for this time of year. That's uh, 66 degrees Fahrenheit. And man, it was so beautiful walking out there. And I'm so grateful that we live out in the country. I can walk along the country road and see the clouds and the trees and practically no vehicles or people. It's very peaceful. I can just do a walking meditation as I, as I get exercise. It's beautiful. I hope you are finding some peacefulness during this pandemic. I took my Power of Now book by Eckhart Tolle off the shelf and I just love to be reminded of so many of his thoughts and ideas that he shared in that incredible book. I just opened it up to a random page which read, Enter the Now from Wherever You Are. Hmm. Books like this can help us through challenging times, that's for sure, like a lot of us are experiencing right now. and. On every episode, I ask my guest for a book suggestion related to mindfulness. And so out of all of those book suggestions, I took the top 12 recommended books and I put them all together and created a short ebook telling you all about those top 12 recommended books. And so I'm going to give you a download link so that you can download this book for free. The book is called The Top 12 Most Recommended Books. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. And I'll repeat that link. Mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. Mindful Tribe, my guest today is a trauma and resilience trainer, and she's a true leader in her field. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. So, are you interested in building your resilience, Mindful Tribe? Are you interested in finding ways to improve as a person and to move forward in your life and your business? Well, I have Molly Burkholm with me today, and Molly is a speaker, she's a consultant, she's a yoga and I rest yoga nidra teacher, trainer. She's done so many things. Molly, it's so great to have you with us today. So are you in mindfulness mode today, Molly? I'm always in mindfulness mode, but especially today, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's my total pleasure. I, I know that you've done so much training and helped people with stress management programs and trauma treatment programs and help leaders and top organizations. I mean, you've worked with the U.S. Department of Defense and J.P. Chase and the Young Presidents Organization. Wow, it's just incredible where, where you've gone with your skills and your expertise. But let's start here. What does mindfulness mean to you, Molly? For me, mindfulness is really a means of being present and aware in each moment to both the physical experience, the connection present, what's happening in the mind, what's happening in the breath, and most of all, staying connected to awareness, to presence, to consciousness, whatever word you want to call it, but a means of making that communion with our highest self 
the constant experience so that whatever we're doing, we're feeling our way through the whole symphony of human experience from moment to moment. So it's really a means of being fully awake, aware and present, no matter what we're doing or uh, participating in in life. And yoga helps you feel fully awake and aware and present. When did you discover yoga and discover it was perfect for you? Well, that was back in 2000. I was an investment banker, actually, and I was in New York City. I was in a life-threatening taxi accident and I was uh, trapped in the taxi with uh, my cab driver who was crushed by the taxi. Uh, I was trapped in the car with him for an hour and I had fractured my skull, my spine and my sternum. And after that, I couldn't go back to my life as I knew it. Everything had to change. And while I went through all sorts of conventional therapies and course, physio rehab. The things that really helped me the most were yoga and mindfulness meditation, as well as pranayama breathing exercises. But that was really what um, helped me learn to live in my body and in my mind after experiencing such uh, severe trauma. Wow. And so for our listeners who don't understand what I rest yoga is could you tell us about that in yoga nidra you know what sure. that teaching is explain I'd us love to, yeah thank you so yoga nidra is about a 2000 year old form of mindfulness meditation it goes back into the kashmir shaivist non-dual teachings it also has roots in buddhism there's a very systematic way that was taught to navigate consciousness. So going through the koshas or those veils or layers of consciousness. So first of all, observing the physical body, anamaya kosha, observing the breath, pranamaya kosha, observing feelings and emotions, manamaya kosha, observing our beliefs, our thoughts, our memories, vinyanamaya kosha, and then getting out into anandamaya kosha, where of course, when we get close to our true nature, the world starts to feel more joyful, more connected, more uh, rich and uh, full, uh, and yet still um, uh, calm. And so when we start to do that, we hit that layer, we call it, Ananda means bliss. So the bliss sheath of consciousness. And again, these are coming from the ancient texts. Um, and then finally on to us, Mitamaya Kosha, which is where we experience the I thought, which as the Buddha said was the last thought to go is the, the notion of I or the ego. And then there's that final transcendence into awareness. So Yoga Nidra was really an ancient roadmap through the experience of being human. Um, through It was in some way, it was, you know, when it, the original mindful, before we said mindfulness, we, we had Yoga Nidra. The word yoga, of course, means to yoke, to unite the body, the mind and the spirit. The word nidra is often translated as sleep, but the deeper revelation of that means to learn to maintain that state of union amidst all the changing states of consciousness. So whether I am um, sitting here speaking with you, Bruce, I'm also feeling out into all the people who will be receiving this message. I'm connecting with my highest self. I'm connecting with my body. So hopefully people can feel that the words I'm sharing are coming from an embodied place. Um, and uh, it, so yoga nidra is a means of learning to navigate this human experience while being connected to our highest self, whether we're asleep, awake, dreaming, uh, we learn to be aware of it. 
Now, IRS Chiyokinidra came along. Richard Miller uh, was uh, is a clinical psychologist, and back I guess it was probably almost twenty years ago when we started uh, when he was first using this with the U.S. military, the U.S. Department of Defense. They said, you know, this yoga nidra stuff that you're teaching appears to be working, but could you call it something else? Because we can't call it (laughs) yoga nidra. And so um, he came up with the term integrative restoration. And that was around the time iPods and iPads and everything were starting to come out. And so the military shortens everything. So it eventually got shortened to iRest Yoga Nidra. Um, but it is all based on the ancient form. iRest is a secular version that's also trauma sensitive. So one of the reasons that the U.S. military and many other secular environments like hospitals, schools have embraced iRest is because um, it is both secular, trauma sensitive, and we've also done a lot of clinical research on it. So we have a lot of the data to back up what it is that we're doing. So that's uh, that's a little bit more about why we call it iRest. But just to know, it's all a form of mindfulness. I think right. oftentimes we can get trapped in thinking my form of mindfulness is better than someone else's. It's, it's really what works for you, what helps you to be more present, what helps you to be more awake and alive, and uh, what helps you feel... Um, you know, peace amidst whatever is happening in your daily life. So um, I don't like to get caught up so much in promoting one or the other. That's the form I use because most of the people I work with are not conventional populations, right. um, even though I have studied extensively and am obsessed with studying Sanskrit and all the ancient tags. Most of my clients, like I said, are the U.S. military and uh, corporate America, McKinsey, Goldman, like, you know, a lot of the bigger companies, um, as well as, you know, other population, traumatized populations like school shooting survivors and human trafficking survivors in prisons. You can't go in there teaching, um, religion because they will boot you, (laughs) you know, that's not appropriate. So, you know, a secular form has been very effective in in meeting what, um, uh, something that everyone can find. And oftentimes people will say it made me a better Christian. It made me a better Jew. And I love that. It's like, it's not, it doesn't have to be about one thing. Hopefully mindfulness should take whatever it is we believe and enhance it. Um, and if, if I'm really able to translate what I'm doing in a, in a universal sense, it should be able to meet anyone safely um, within their belief system. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm just wondering, how long did it take you to transition after the trauma of that accident into the place where you could actually make this a business and teach it and help other people? Hmm. Yeah. So after the accident, I, you know, as often happens, there's the moment of falling apart where, mm-hmm. you know, if we study the hero's journey, the, <laughs> there's the moment where the old world doesn't work anymore and you mm-hmm. really have to shatter your paradigm and, and break that open. Um, and so my old world, there was no way I could be in it in the same way. I mean, I stayed in banking for four and a half more years, but, um, I couldn't live in the same way or in the same body, you know, doing the same thing. So Mm -hmm. my mom actually suggested, why don't you try yoga? You know, I hear it's really good for things like this. And the first yoga class I walked out of, I told her, I said, I don't know that I've ever felt better. And it's Uh not that I don't have pain because I still do. 
just something feels better. And right away the switch flipped and I became, I mean, I really dove headfirst into it. It was my handhold out of the darkness. And so as one tends to do when you're in those moments of desperation, I poured my whole body, mind and spirit into, even though I was still in banking and moved to London and then Chicago and yoga and meditation became the constant. Eventually I had a lawsuit settlement that was about four and a half years after that, um, that settled and I left everything and I booked a ticket, one-way ticket to India uh, and ended up living in ashrams and monasteries and really diving headfirst into a full immersion. For me, I I don't think it was ever religious per se, but I wanted to study with the ancient texts. Like I wanted to know where it was coming from. I wanted to understand uh, why and how we were doing things the way we were. So then we could bring that into a modern sense, but I wanted to know the roots. And then after that, I came back 2007. So from, I guess, 2000 to 2007 was the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) between. And then um, when I came back, uh, long story short, I started working at the Miami VA in January of 2007. Um, And at that point, it became my full-time job (laughs) Um, and started doing clinical research with Department of Defense and National Institutes of Health and Harvard and some genetic research. So after that, it all just snowballed and it totally became my life. Um, And then eventually, um, you know, as oftentimes life circumstances dictate, we ended up starting Warriors at Ease, which we've trained now over 2,000 um, teachers in trauma-sensitive yoga and mindfulness techniques, Iris Yoga Nidra, and they work at 65 bases and VAs around the world. Um, you know, we have tents and war zones where they're doing practicing mindfulness. Um, and then uh, eventually my the military was the dominant place for a long time. And now I've really, most of my clients now are corporate America. Um, I also work a lot with people in the film industry. Um, so I work a lot with actors and actresses, directors, um, creatives of all types, writers and visual artists, um, helping them unlock their creativity using mindfulness. So, you know, just a huge swat. And I love it like that. I love seeing all the ways that we can use mindfulness in ways that nobody ever expects. I mean, if, and, and really if the tool is universal, I'll, I'll walk into a psych ward and teach it. And, I'll, and then I'll walk into a Hollywood gathering and teach it. And I'll walk into a boardroom of CEOs. I was just in Sedona last week with, um, it was, a, it was an annual retreat for young presidents organization. And, you know, I teach, I teach, I might use different language, but what I teach is, is mindfulness. What, you know, what we're, what we're, we've devoted our lives to. So it's beautiful to see how it has that universality. Yeah. That's wonderful. I know you did a year long course called Women's Empowerment Initiative. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a story about someone whose life was transformed because of that? Mm, I'd love to. Yes. So the idea came up with Women's Empowerment Initiative. And I'll say the number one person whose life had changed was mine. Um, I mean, the person I could say closest to that had changed was mine. But it really was a powerful journey because that was the time when Me Too was happening. And Mm -hmm. one of the things is we oftentimes look at like the brokenness that happens and we'll focus on this is the bad thing and this is this. And I always really try to hold space. Yes, we need to sit with the things that cause pain, but let's be constructive and let's open it up so that we can find the wisdom and meaning in it to then become creators of something new. So right
right around that same time, you know, just the way the world matches our personal experience, I got divorced and uh, had uh, to, you know, my life turned upside down. It was very much about finding my own empowerment and uh, as well as an individual, as a, as a single mother, as a, you know, sole breadwinner. Um, and so um, that started, um, you know, in collaboration with many other people. Um, and then we interviewed, I think there's 26 total people that we interviewed. It's a 54 episode series. What ended up happening was we've had this huge international collection of women come together to support each other in a very positive collaborative space. So no one can deny there's a huge wage gap that just is real. Mm -hmm. So how can we work together collaboratively to tackle that? How can we work together collaboratively to not have to live in a silo of just being a mom or just being a career person or just being a spouse, but how can we live as spherically as fully integrated human beings? And so the, idea behind Women's Empowerment Initiative was that all of us have certain things we're good at. And every single person we interviewed will talk about their strengths and they will also talk about the things that are challenging for them. Some people can own the financial workspace, but the personal life hasn't quite been the same and, uh, or vice versa. And so the point of it was to show not everyone has it all figured out. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have things that are, we're good at, and we all have challenges and can we support each other's whole beings? So, um, if I think of one person who I'd mentioned to answer your question, I know it's a long time coming, but one of the people who I would mention, um, that it transformed her life is a woman named Nikki McKean, who, um, it changed her life so much that she ended up becoming one of the people that we talked about in some of the sessions because she so became a part of the community and a leader in it. Um, she came to the practice while um, she lives in Toronto. She and her husband um, have two amazing restaurants there, Piano Piano and Cafe Can Can. And she um, had two little babies and found out she had cancer. Oh. And so she really came into Women's Empowerment Initiative needing to find what would give her life. You know, And she started really looking at where did she sourced life in herself. And I think right now, I mean, we're facing coronavirus and all these things. It's a really important question for us all to look at what are we doing that gives us life? Like we can say it's good to practice mindfulness, but hopefully it's bringing us more alive. And with Nikki, she found a lot of, we always start yoga nidra with a sankalpa or an intention. And hers was, I am healthy, whole and complete just as I am. That was her very clear sankalpa. What ended up happening was um, that really became true. She had to go through chemo and radiation and, you know, all the while these two little babies and her marriage and her career. And, and she said, you know what? I am healthy, whole and complete because I'm connected to my true nature. It's not about, um, if she said my body might die of cancer, that might happen. Then she got cancer. She got better and she got cancer again. Knock on wood right now. She's cancer free. Um, however, she also knows that shadow is looming right there. And she said she's never been brought more fully alive. And with women's empowerment initiative, we look at each silo of life, whether it's finances, career, romance, family relationships, creativity, each month is devoted to a different topic. So when people, and now we have many men who are taking it too, actually, yeah. um, but they're um, looking at all that whole wheelhouse of life. 
can I really find ways to thrive in all of the chapters of my life where I'm not depleting in one category to serve another and then I end up lopsided, not a balance and conflicted. So it's really about um, staying connected to the deeper peace, honoring peace and health and wellness above all else, growing from a foundation of you know, letting our thoughts and words and deeds arise as a reflection of our true self so that the doing ends and the being begins. We can actually start to live as the fullest reflection of who we are. I know that you've worked a lot in trauma and you mentioned that already. How do you prevent some of those situations and the closeness to the situations from pulling you down and drawing energy away from you? Hmm. It's a beautiful question. And I think it's a really important question, Bruce, because I think a lot of people are really afraid of working with trauma, both their own and getting close to other people's trauma. It's as if it's contagious. Like if I get close to you feeling your pain, you might make me feel my pain too. And um, I would say I go straight into it. And it was learned in the site. I worked in the psychiatric unit at Miami VA for four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And every single day, five days a week, I was going in you know, eight hours a day face to face with the worst traumas that one could even imagine. It wasn't just war trauma, it was childhood trauma, sexual trauma, substance abuse. I mean, you name it, we saw it there. Um, and, uh, at first I was real averse and I would come home and I would wash all my clothes and, you know, rub myself with salt and like a sage and all these things. And then the day started hitting. I'm like, what am I cleansing? Like, as if, like I myself don't have these emotions as if I myself am not human too, as if I myself haven't been traumatized. And, you know, it's like anything that's, and it, to think that I'm going to catch, um, to be afraid or get drained with someone's trauma implies that they are separate from me. I don't think anyone separate from me. I think I'm connected to everyone and everyone's connected to me. So if trauma's happening over there, trauma's happening inside of me too. And if trauma's happening under my roof or in my community, that's my trauma too. If I walk, walk past someone who's starving going into my house with two Whole Foods bags that I just spent a hundred bucks on, is that nourishment? Am I really healthy if the person outside my door is starving? And likewise, emotionally. So the day that I stopped, and I really can almost find the day that I came home and I realized, and it is, it was a yoga, we could call it a yoki and a union moment where I realized none of it was outside of me. So I can't wash it off. I can't salt cleanse it. I can't sage it. Mm. If, if I'm meeting it in the world, it's happening in me. The suffering does not exist in the suffering itself. We can feel pain, but the actual suffering exists in the resistance to it. So you know, and this, this is all over the yogic teachings where, you know, raga, dvesha, we look at our likes and our dislikes. I like to feel good and pleasure. I don't like to feel pain. The suffering exists in our attachment to wanting reality to be different than what it is. Uh, suffering exists in, in wanting to fix or change people. I don't want to fix or change anybody. If anything, I just want to be so fully present with the people I'm with that they feel so seen, so heard, so welcomed, 
so cherished, so connected with, even if they don't know why, the suffering starts to dissipate. It starts to melt away. And in that space of connection, of union, they might not even know what's happening, but they are feeling a glimpse of their true nature, the part of themselves that's untouched by it. So when we call ourselves healers, first of all, like, you know, the term healing is implying that something's damaged. Like the very first notion in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is now in this moment, we are healthy, whole, and complete just as we are. Now in this moment, I am pure being, I am pure consciousness, I'm pure awareness. So what do you, what do I need to heal? Like, yeah, there's stuff in my life I need to heal. We've all got our top 10 list of problems that come. Don't think the day will come. You won't have them. You'll always have them. However, how can I approach it? Can I approach it from a place of welcoming instead of resistance? So when you say like, how do I not get drained? I swear to you, Bruce, and you can ask people on a trauma retreat. I'll go into trauma retreat. We just did one in January. 20 people come in. I mean, I'm talking major traumas, biggest, you know, you can, I always think I've seen like the worst traumas and then like the next one walks in the door. I actually, and I don't mean this to say that I get energy from other people's pain. I don't get energy from other people's pain. I get energy from connecting with people in an Mm. open hearted and passionate way. So in a way that they can feel what is alive and vital and present in themselves. And when, and if I, and really all I want to be is the bank of the river. Like I just want to hold space and provide tools so that they can find that in themselves. It's not about me. It's about them. It's about them finding it in themselves so they can home, go home and do that again. Now, if I'm the one who's up there, like I'm the teacher, I'm the leader, I'm going to lead you to peace. Like, first of all, that's super boring. It's super tiring. It's super egocentric. It's, it's totally not the person I want to be. Like, I want to be in it with them. Everything now I'm I'm like right there in the circle if I'm going to ask you to share something I'm going to share it too and I'm going to share the real answer I'm not going to share the cooked answer that I had in my head I'm going to share what I'm actually feeling in that moment and in that space of openness and vulnerability we all get energy from it people come on a trauma retreat I, I do a lot of one-on-one work with people which I love doing and it's like they'll be like I've been to therapy for like 15 years and I like three sessions and I feel so much better and it's like and they'll say, why, why do I feel better? And it's like, because you're touching the place that, that wasn't damaged. And that's the capital H healing. I'm not saying conventional therapy isn't necessary. I love therapy. I go once a month. I think it's amazing. Sometimes I go more than once a month. It's great. You know, I love it. But the capital H healing comes when we touch the part of ourselves that's not touched by anything. And if I'm teaching from that place, teaching, I don't even really like that term. I like sharing, Mm. holding space with other people. If I can hold space, fully embodying consciousness, the place that connects all of us, what is there to be drained? You know, I'm just doing what I do every day anyway. I'm just doing it with other people. So in that sense, you know, I, I really want to take the stigma out of trauma. I really want to, but there's no stigma. Like ask yourself the question, who are the people you think are the most amazing humans? hundred percent. I would put that they've had trauma. Right. The people who become great don't become great in spite of their trauma. They become great because of it. That's what teaches you your wisdom, your strength. That's what gives you your juice. Like that's what makes you learn to connect. I think that we almost can become kamikazes. Like 
I love going to work in challenging situations. Like people will avoid the one crying. I'll go straight up to them. Cause like, that's like, they're ready. They're mm-hmm. ready. If they're mm-hmm. crying, they're connected. That's actually mm-hmm. a connected state. The people I worry about are the ones who numb out. Um, oh, yeah. and that to me is more fearful. If someone's crying, like that's life happening through them. All right. We're feeling now, now we can move things. Now we can find things. So yeah, I think that the way I can do it is I'm, so not averse to it. Like, here we go, life. <laughs> Let's just do this, you know? And, and that is so freeing. I don't have to do anything. Like I, it's so freeing. I can just do what I do and share what I share and be present with people. And, um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And you do that on your, on your podcast conversations matter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's so great that you have that so that, you know, people can check out exactly how you do what you do and you do it by doing exactly what you're saying. You're just open, completely open to what people are going through. And you're such a powerful listener. Now I always ask a question about bullying. And if you have a story about bullying where either you were bullied or maybe you bullied someone else or something where mindfulness would have made a difference. Do you have a story you can share with us, Molly? Yeah, that's a great question. When I was a kid, I moved 10 times before I graduated from high school. (laughs) And so every time that I would move. We moved to different regions within the United States. And every time the culture was different, you know, kids dress differently. Mm -hmm. They have different accents, different things are cool. And so I would come in doing what was cool in the previous place where I lived. And it was a hundred percent of the time, not cool (laughs) in the place where I had moved. And so I think every single time I got bullied and I, I got Yeah. And what ended up happening was I kept putting on new skins. Like I kept changing to make, to fit in, like to make myself not stick out and to be part of what they were doing. I think bullying happens when we derive our power from putting someone else down. You know, it's a very hierarchical system of all get power if you're farther down. So if you're in any way different, that becomes the place of bullying. That becomes like the easy target. I'm going to go, the bully can look out and see right away who to go after. The thing that, you know, I became a people pleaser. I wanted to make everybody happy. Like I wanted everyone to be happy. I didn't want to have conflict. I just, you know, everybody, let's just like find a way we can all just get along and not upset each other. I'm not going to say anything that's vulnerable. I'm not going to act different. I'm not going to dress different. And that becomes a total prison. And um, it's taken, I'm still going through it. I think it becomes something that um, is a very, um, difficult experience, especially in our modern age of social media. I thank God that I didn't have social media. I'm 42 now. When I was a kid, I can't even imagine um, what I would have felt like. And I can get why people, you know, take their own lives because they feel so vulnerable and open and wounded. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of times that people have attacked me on social media lately that it was interesting. I remember the old me, (laughs) you know, the young me would have just trying to find a way to have a common voice and unite everyone. 
And with like a lot of, I'm highly criticized in the yoga community for bringing yoga and meditation to the military. Like that is a frequent thing. And I am very vocal about the fact that I think that is spiritual elitism at its absolute worst. Mm-hmm. There is no one more or less entitled to the teachings of yoga or mindfulness than anyone else to think that defies the entire premise upon which yoga is founded upon. And, and really I, I pose to the people often like, who do you want practicing mindfulness more than the people who are going to war? Like, is there somebody else out there? You know, I want them practicing mindfulness. And I have stacks of letters from people who say, like, I thought twice before I shoot, I wasn't living from adrenaline. I wasn't, you know, from spouses who say, my spouse has connected with us again. They finally came home, even though they've been home for five years. Like I got my spouse back and they're better than ever. And, or they don't abuse me anymore or mindfulness stopped them from wanting to kill themselves or the whole family practices together. Like we're changing the military from the inside out. Like if you want to stop war in the world, first you have to stop war in yourself and all the people out there attacking me because I'm teaching yoga in the military. Like go look inside at the wars you're fighting in your own mind mm-hmm. <laughs> and quit fighting me on social media. I'm not fighting you. I don't care whether you like that I teach yoga in the military or not. Now the old me, I could have never done that. Like yeah. I'm not even saying that and telling you, like I say, like, I don't care if people do or not. It's not even true. I do care. Like there's a part of yeah. me inside that's like, but if only you saw, if only you knew, if only, you know, and like, yeah. like I want to pull these out. And then there's a part that's like, okay, just let everybody let like be in their journey, you know, like yeah. everybody be in their journey and right. I'll keep doing what I'm doing, which is bringing yoga to pl- and meditation and mindfulness to places where people need it. We're all suffering. Nobody's suffering is more or less. We're all suffering. These tools are our sanctuary. They are our liberation. Everybody deserves them. And it does make a difference. You want to hear one story of that? Yes, I, I do. I definitely do. We have an amazing woman. Her husband is a general and he was deployed in the Middle East. He was going to have to invade this village and he didn't want to do it. You know, there's always collateral, what they call collateral damage, which I hate that term, but you know, that's what it's called where, you know, people uninvolved in the conflict will get killed or hurt or in their homes destroyed. So he didn't want to do it. And so he meditated. His wife's amazing. He met and she's taught him this and now he's really bringing it in. But he meditated before he went out into, uh, to, 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 he was going to go talk to the tribal leader one more time before he had to invade. And he said, during the meditation, what came to him was just listen, just go and just listen to the leader. Don't say anything. Don't try to negotiate. Just listen. And so he did that. And at the end of the conversation, the tribal leader said to him, I feel like you really listened to me and I feel like I can work with you. And as a result, he didn't have to invade the village. Wow. Wow. What a great story. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Molly, where would you like our listeners to go to find more about what you do? Mm, thanks for asking. My website's mollybarkholm.com and you can find everything I'm doing on there from 
the private sessions too. I have a new um, program coming out to support people now that Corona's happening. Everyone's going to be trapped at home. We're going to try to make a virtual community to really support each other um, in ways that we can be productive during this time. Um, also through the great courses, I have two 24 class series on there, one on IRS Yoga Nidra, the type of meditation that I teach, and also on building resilience, transforming adversity into strength. You can find our nonprofit organization, Warrior Cities, warriorcities.org. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm not... I'm doing more and more, like I said, like corporate work, but I still like love the one-on-one -on -one work. So if any of this sounds resonant, it's like the thing that I do the least now, but I want to do it. I, I've, I realize like I need that one-to-one -one, um, connection and I love it. So between doing corporate things or I just finished an Air Force special ops contract, I really was feeling the need to come back to like one-on-one -on -one with people because it's just so rich, as you know, and we can oh, sit yes. together and I can feel you you and I can feel your amazing community. It's just, it's so rich when we can have that one-on-one -on -one interaction. So yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. As we move forward in the interview, Molly, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 Ooh, second fun. answers are okay. perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who's influenced your mindfulness practice? Richard Miller. Okay. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It made me learn to feel them with openness and curiosity. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Breathing is everything. Breathing consciously has taught me how to really be alive and connect to the life force of the universe and how to embody that, how to share that with other people, how to tap into our own creative source energy and to realize we have boundless energy and potential we only have this limiting belief that we're small <laughs> but really we are so endless uh, you can't ask me a short question about the press <laughs> <laughs> if you could recommend a book related to this topic of mindfulness what would that be Oh, I just wrote a review for um, a book who, um, another woman who introduced me, who really influenced mindfulness through me is Joan Rubinsky. Um, she, um, her, she wrote a book called The Recognition of Your Own Heart. Isn't that an amazing title? Yes, it is. Uh, if you go to pathlessyoga. I think it's .com or .org, you can find it there. It's on Amazon too. Um, and it's J-O-A-N-R-U-V-I-N-S-K-Y. Joan, was, I mean, she was a fully realized being. Like she, you know, she, she was the real deal. And she spent her whole life devoted to her practice and meditation. And, you know, a lot of us, I, I'm super external. Like I like to be out in the world. Joan wasn't. She lived in Montreal in a beautiful row house next to the park in the French district. And she just liked to, you know, there'd be eight of us who'd come to her house and we would, you know, ask her to do a retreat. And sometimes she wouldn't even speak, but she oh, would wow. take you energetically on this journey into the depths of your meditative experience. She taught me how to access universal consciousness and how to feel the different consciousness and different people. And upon learning that she had terminal cancer, mm -hmm. she, this woman who for the most part hadn't been very outgoing in terms of teaching retreats or, you know, she wasn't famous. I mean, she was with those of us who loved her, but not in like a 
more international sense, she decided at this point in her life that she only had four or five more months to live at that point that she was going to write a book. Wow. <laughs> and she translated a, a, a tantric text. Um, and it's my belief that she wrote that text out of her body. Like she transcended her physical form. If you YouTube Joan Ravinsky, you'll find... Uh, interview that was done with her as she was dying and it is it will transform the way you see death like it's that potent and um she wrote in this book you can open it at any page any page contains the whole thing i mean it's just so potent and um some may seem it sounds think it sounds esoteric which i I think it, it, it can seem that way but it is also deeply practical she also has practices in there I think if you keep approaching it with like a real, like, what does this mean now? You'll find it is very real and applicable. Um, and that phrase to recognize our own heart. Like, mm. what, I mean, when was the last time you listened to your heart? You know, when was the last time you really felt the depths of your heart or somebody you love or someone you don't even know who's sitting next to you on an airplane or the subway or or someone you read about in the news, you know, it's, it's really like the golden rule, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself, the recognition of our own heart in our own self first, because we can only do in the world what we've done in ourselves. But then also to feel the heart that, that we're not separate, it's all connected. And so that evolution into the dissolution of separation is the final teaching. And after that, it's just, you know, Everything else is freedom and exploration and adventure and curiosity and, and you know, yeah. <laughs> wow. Mindful Tribe, you need to get that book, Recognition of Your Own Heart, and I Do Too, by Joan Ravinsky. This yeah. sounds incredible. And one last quick question. Can you share an app of any kind that can help with getting grounded or being more focused or more centered with mindfulness? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I think the Great Courses app is amazing. They have so many um, different teachings on there. And I love that there's both lectures and practices. So that's what I've been using a lot lately. I mean, I think also, I love I love that Insight Timer has so many different things. Mm-hmm. I think there's a risk of doing so many different things that you don't go deep on one thing. But I think for people who are starting out, it's great to be able to sample lots of different guided meditations And I do think guided meditations are more generous for a beginner because uh, especially people with trauma, if you ask people with trauma to close their eyes and do a silent meditation, it it can actually be traumatizing because their mind just will go right back to the thing they're, you know, so guided yoga nidras or mindfulness or MBSR, all of all of these tools, especially if you pick a trauma sensitive teacher who knows how to really hold space you don't want to pick a guided meditation that's going to go, none of mine do. I, I, I never take, I, my mindfulness is like, I never want to tell people what to feel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, what is present? Where do you feel it in your body? What emotions present? Where do you feel that in your body? And, and that, in that way, is trauma sensitive. I'm not asking you to feel something 
I'm not going to say now feel anger <laughs> or no. I mean, maybe in some of my beginning meditations, I did that, right. but certainly the more recent ones, none of that. Yeah. And certainly on the great courses, there's none of that. So, um, I think it's when we self source things, that's always trauma sensitive because we're just supporting people and feeling what's there. So I, I think inside timer is great for that. I, I'm not so app based, like, you sure. know, the app, I don't, here's the app, go for a walk in the forest, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. leave your phone at home. Don't take a picture of anything. Don't Instagram yeah. it. Like the, yeah. you know, go be present with the people yeah. in your life and um, have dinner and talk about what your day was like and what's happening in you and what's exciting you and what's inspiring you. Like, I'd rather do that. That's my app. <laughs> That's awesome advice to end on Molly, Molly Burkholm.com and it's B I R K H O L M Molly Burkholm.com. And of course go to warriorcities.org. Oh, it's a warriors at ease. Like, you know, oh, and warriors at ease. I'm sorry. No, it's go, okay. to, you're, go to warriors at ease.org. <laughs> All good. And I just yeah. want to take a moment to thank you on behalf of your listeners who may never have the chance to say thank you for the generosity of presence that you bring and the chance for people to access the teachings of so many people who are living and embodying these truths. So thank you, Bruce, for, for sharing so generously. I appreciate that so much and thank you molly for all your work and for coming on the show all the best to you molly thank you bruce you too bye now thank you for listening once again mindful tribe so great to have you with us and uh i'm thinking about you i really am as we go through all of this together here as a people and Oh, you know, don't forget about that book I mentioned at the top of the show. You can download it for free. It's my gift to you. 12 must-read mindfulness books based on all of the books that are recommended on my show. And, and it features some really great books. So go to mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books. See you next time, Mindful Tribe.